Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to work through verses 17 to 20 in our Bibles. Verses 17 to 20. Title of message today, if you're taking notes, is obeying God and loving it. Obeying God and loving it. We're working through a series I've titled Jesus Worldview. Where we look through the eyes of Jesus. We look through the eyes of Christ. Everybody has a worldview. A way that they see the world. A way that they dissect the world. A way that they understand the world. I want to see through Jesus' eyes. We got lots of opinions going around. We got lots of ideas. We got lots of issues in our society. I want to see through Jesus' lens. I want to see what he was teaching his disciples and what he is trying to teach us still today. Heard of a story. Maybe you heard of this one too. Struggling to make ends meet on a small salary as a Christian man. He was upset when he confronted his wife with the receipt of a $250 dress she had bought. Uh-oh. How could you do this, he said. She said, well, I was outside the store looking at the dress in the window And then I found myself trying it on magically. She explained, it was like Satan was whispering in my ear, you look fabulous in that dress. Buy this dress. Well, the husband replied, you know how I get when this kind of temptation happens to me? The husband replied, he says, I tell Satan, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Don't you tempt me like this. The wife says, well, I did. I said, get behind me, Satan. But then he said, it looked fabulous from back there too. So I had to get it. That's all you get. Today we enter a brand new part of Jesus' sermon. Where we will see Jesus break down Christian living once again. Which is really summed up in one word. Righteousness. Righteousness. It's really being right before God. And this will be the theme over the next two chapters in the book of Matthew. In the text before us, we will see the Lord approach a big question in his listeners' minds. There is no doubt that there has been great discussion amongst his Jewish disciples about his stances and positions on the Old Testament, the law, and the prophets. And I think this is a big question that carries on right now today in LA, right now in our world. People wonder if the Old Testament even matters. Is it even important? Just a bunch of rules and regulations and laws that we really don't look at, we really don't pay attention to. It's so hard to read and understand, many say. It's not even relevant to us. Why do we need to know about it? Did Jesus even agree with the Old Testament? Some people say, no, no, Jesus is the New Testament God the Father is the Old Testament. No, no, no. Now, now. Was he against it in teaching another way? No, no. We're going to talk about this today, obeying God and loving it. The Pharisees seemed to keep the commands of God very well. Do you remember the religious leaders in Jesus' time? They wore the nice holy robes. They looked very holy on the outside, but they were dead on the inside. And you couldn't actually tell that they were dead on the inside unless you look closely to watch their action. A lot of people in that society thought they were very holy, but their hearts were corroded. 
And Jesus tells us, unless you are more righteous than those guys, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders in that day, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. What? I've got to be more righteous than them? They look pretty holy on the outside. How can that be? We're going to talk about it today. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We are in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verses 17 to 20. Can you stand? Would you join me to stand for the reading of God's word? If you want to, if you want to stay seated, you can do so as well. We always stand for the reading of God's word to pay honor to him and to remember whose word we are reading. Now my words, and honestly, my words will not help very much. They may motivate and encourage a little bit, but I cannot transform a person's mind or a person's heart. Only the word of God can do that. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 17, Jesus' words, he said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota or a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments... And teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And God, we ask now that you would open our eyes again to see your truth. And we do pray that it would... Help us to understand your love and your grace and your mercy once again, how far you went to bless us. We love to worship you in obedience. We do it because we want to, not because we have to, because of what you have done for us. Help us to see this now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Jesus says to the religious, to the disciples, to those in that day, hey, don't think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. Bible students, what is technically the law and the prophets? It's kind of a fancy term there we like to throw around. What is this? Simply put, it's the entire Old Testament. If you didn't know, the Bible, the word Bible means books. That's all it means. Bible means books. It's made up of 66 different books. 40 different authors, over 1,500 years of time, three different languages, written from the lowest of the low, the poorest of the poor, to the richest of the rich, the authors. All of these coming together. It is broken up into two sections. We have the New Testament and we have the Old Testament. The law, Jesus is referring to as the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, okay? Many of you, any, anyone have Jewish blood here? You grew up hearing that it is the Torah. Yes, that's right, the Torah. The law is broken up into three sections. You know, when you read through the Torah, you're like, yeah, what are all those rules and regulations anyways? What was Moses writing down? Listen, it's broken up into three sections. The moral law, the judicial law, and the ceremonial law. These laws are displayed in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. The moral law is the Ten Commandments. You know these. 
The judicial law are the rules and regulations for society. God was president. God was king. Did you know that? There was a time in the Old Testament when God was king, when he was president, and he gave them 613 laws to live by. And he gave them judicial laws. Don't do this to your neighbor. Do this to your neighbor. Hey, if your neighbor's donkey falls into a hole on your property and breaks a leg, you're to pay him out 50 bucks. These rules and regulations were in place, a judicial law. It bled into their culture. Then we have a ceremonial law. They're the guidelines for the burnt offerings and the sacrifice that the priests would be doing for the people. So their church, their congregation, a ceremonial law. These are the three different things the law is broken up into. Then you have the prophets. The prophets are referring to the prophetic books that were written by prophets in the Old Testament. We have the major prophets and we have the minor prophets. It's not because the major prophets were tall, giant guys and the minor prophets were short, small guys. No, it's because they're really the length of their books, the length of their writings. That's all it is. The major have larger books and the minor have smaller. You didn't think you were going to learn all this today, now did you? All of these details in the Old Testament point to two simple things. Are you ready? The whole thing just points to what loving God looks like what loving your neighbor looks like, and I should add one more thing, what the Messiah Jesus looks like. The whole Old Testament is foretelling that there is one coming who is going to save us from our sins and bring us into relationship with the God who made us. That's the whole Old Testament. That's what it's all about. You're like, thank you. Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, as many think in this day. I would love to do this, maybe go down on the street here in downtown L.A., over in Venice Beach, walk around with a microphone. Hey, what do you think the Old Testament is about? Oh, yeah, I, I think God killing a bunch of people. I think that's what it's about. What do you think the Old Testament? Well, it looks like it's a, a bunch of hate going on in the Old Testament. Really? Have you read through it ever? Well, no. Do you know its context? No. Exactly. We don't know the premise of the book. It would be like opening up to half way through a book and just start reading it. You miss the whole first half. And that is why Jesus even spends so much time speaking from the Old Testament. There was no New Testament in that time. He was speaking it into existence. Jesus says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. That society didn't know if Jesus was for the law because of the way that he taught it. The way that he taught it was backwards from the way they understood it. And I see this in our day and age. How do I see it? People will say things like, well, it says in the Old Testament you can't get tattoos. Yes, it does. But you know what the next verse says? You're not to shave the sides of your head. Uh Uh-oh. So one plus one is two. You have to now start thinking, why would it say not to shave the sides of your head? Well, let's understand the context. The pagans in that day and age, the the nation Israel, the Jewish nation was to be set apart from all other nations in the world to declare that they know God. 
And part of the way in doing that, to be set apart from the pagan nations, is not to look like them, worship like them, or dress like them. And so they were not to shave the sides of their heads as the pagans around them were doing, thus to associate with them. They were to be set apart. And they were not to get tattoos and pagan worship under those gods like the pagan nations around them were doing. Ah, that makes sense. Of course it does. And that's the problem is so many people get the Old Testament and the understandings of it wrong and they throw the rest of the book away. Jesus starts to set the whole thing straight and clarifies. Do you know that Jesus quoted from 24 different Old Testament books? He quotes the Old Testament 78 times. The apostles quoted it 209 times. We must understand the reason those laws were in place in that time in history when, again, God was their president and God was their king. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish it. Nope, not to wipe it away, but to fulfill it. This is very, very important. We're going to talk about how and why he has fulfilled the law a little bit later, but simply put, he lived a perfect life and kept every single command in the law perfectly. He is the sinless one. So, you know, all of those 613 laws that God called the Jewish people to live and walk in, who could possibly live perfectly in all of these laws and rules and regulations? There was one who did it. His name is Jesus. He was the perfect human being. He actually never sinned once. He was sinless. But why did he do that? Why did he live a perfect life? This is why. Because only perfect people get to heaven. Like, uh uh-oh. Well, I'm not perfect. How am I going to get to heaven? That's the whole point. Jesus lived a perfect life so that he could give you that perfect life so that you can get to heaven through his righteousness. Watch this. But I got a bunch of sin in my life. What am I going to do with all that sin? He actually died a perfect death for you as well and paid for all of your sins so that your sin would be wiped away. You would be brought up to level. And then he would give you perfection so that you could walk into eternity spiritually. That is exactly what happens when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. It's an amazing, amazing gift. It's called the great exchange or the great switcheroo, I like to call it. He takes your sinful life on the cross and he gives you his perfect life. Why would he do such a thing? The only reason I know is because he loves you. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for you because he loves you and he lived the law perfectly because you couldn't. That's the whole point. This is what is to be declared to the world. You cannot get to heaven on your own. If you walk up to somebody on the street, Venice Beach, and ask them that, are you going to heaven when you die? What do they say? I'm a good person. Yeah, but you're not good enough. You have to be perfect to get to heaven. Well, nobody's perfect. Exactly. And so the only way to get to heaven is through the perfection of Christ. The only way to get to heaven is through the death and resurrection of Christ. This is what he is pointing out. Look at verse 18 in your Bibles. Look at verse 18. Jesus said, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Say iota. When's the last time you said that word, huh? Iota? Not Yoda. 
iota. Jesus is referring to the entire word of God. Every period, comma, apostrophe, accent, everything was intended for us. Did you know that? The whole shebang. The whole thing. Look, I have Bibles on my phone and I have it on my iPad. I can probably even look on it at my, on my watch. But there's something about having a Bible. You know that people for hundreds of years, for centuries, did not even have one of these in their hands. There would be like one for the town. And the pastor would open it and read from it or the priest would open it and read from it. The fact that we have one here is very, very special, and you can read from it any time you want. You know, there are times in history that when people open this book, they would be killed for it. And here we are, worshiping freely, able to take it in. We're blessed. Second Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The whole thing is profitable. The whole thing is important. You see, some people just want some of the Bible and not all of it. Some people are like, well, I, I kind of like, like these passages over here, but I don't accept that other stuff. What? Well, Pastor, I, I can't accept all of it. Why? Because I disagree with certain things in it. Family, listen. What do you do when you get to a place in the Bible you disagree with? You change your mind. You ch- I'm not God. You're not God. This thing has stood the test of time. You're, you're just barely on your path. We think we are so wise. We can't even figure out how to love each other on this planet. We've got so many problems. And we've had thousands of years to figure it out. The human race has been around for quite a while. We still cannot advance. I think we need something far greater than ourselves. We need the words of Christ. We need the words of God. You can trust every promise and every word from God. It is not going away and it will stand forever. That's what Jesus is saying. Listen to some of God's promises to you. I hope these are true. I know actually they are true, but I hope they are true and continue to be true forever as he says. Listen to these. I think you want them to be true as well. Listen to some of God's promises to us. God has promised salvation to all who believe in his son. He will save you from your sins through simple belief. Sounds too good to be true. I got to do something to get to heaven. No, no. You don't have to bow five times a day. Nope. You don't have to go knocking on doors. No. You don't have to go on your missionary journey. No. You don't have to go through all of these steps or live a perfect life even. You're not even possible to do so. The Bible says very clearly by simply believing on the Lord Jesus with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength in the work that he has done, believing God at his word, what he has said, that he grants a person salvation, a new heart, and a new mind, a resurrected life. That is incredible. Promise of salvation through simple faith. I don't think anything is as costly on the planet, but nothing is is freely available either. God has promised that all things will work together for good for his children, Romans 8. God has promised comfort in our trials, 2 Corinthians 1. God has promised every spiritual blessing in Christ, Ephesians 1. You get all of them. You get every spiritual blessing by simply coming into partnership with Christ. 
think about going into business with one of the mega billionaires, you know, on the planet. And they're like, you want to go into business together? It's like, well, I don't really have anything. Well, what do you got? And you're like, well, I got, um, I got a dime. I got a paper clip and some lint. Chapstick, too. <laughs> you want to go into business? They're like, yeah, I got 80, 100 billion dollars. Let's do the deal. Really? But I got nothing. That's perfect. Because I got everything. When you go into business with Christ, when you go into relationship with the Lord Jesus, you literally get every blessing that is found in him. He earned all the blessings through his perfect life. He earned all the blessings, all the promises, all the, all the covenant with God because he lived a perfect life and he just gives it to us for free. It's absolutely incredible because we become his children. God promised to finish the work he started in us, Philippians 1. God promised peace when we pray, Philippians 4. God has promised to supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory, Matthew 6 and Philippians 4. These promises, you can't even purchase this kind of stuff. Can you make a one-time purchase that all of your needs are going to be taken care of for the rest of your life? What? Can I Amazon Prime that to my house? All of my needs taken care of. We're not talking about financial. We're talking about emotional. We're talking about physical. We're talking about spiritual. And yes, we're also talking about monetary issues. Our needs. Psalm 119.89 says, Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. What God has said, listen, family, a lot of people will break promises. A lot of people will not keep their commitments. A lot of people say one thing and do another thing. But when God says something, it will stand forever. His word is infinitely valuable. And what he has said will come to pass. And who's going to stop him? The Lord has showed up in my life hundreds if not thousands of times in powerful ways. I look back on my life and, and try to figure out how in the world I got to this place. I look back on my life and I see how God has navigated me and kept me. Some of you know my story or a bit of it. But, my, um, but I've seen God stay faithful to my family. I've seen God stay faithful to me. I've seen God just carry us through and provide and supply ample amounts of peace and rest when I needed it the most. My mom died when I was five years old in a car accident. I remember my, watching my dad raise three boys by himself. Grandma stepped in to help. Then around high school, we actually lost everything. My dad lost his job and we lost the house and we lost the car. We actually lived in a hotel for a couple weeks because we had no place to stay. Around 17, 18 years old, basically my brother, uh, Jake, I think he was 15 and Jess was probably 14, 13, we all had to go move in with our friends. And so I was, uh, we, we basically spread out over Southern California living with other families. And my dad was living on his own and we were on our own since then. We never lived back together since then. But my dad, growing up, always encouraged us in the ways of the Lord. We went to church every Sunday. We kept worshiping. Even when we didn't, I, I remember this, even when we didn't have any cash, we didn't have any money. I remember him giving us quarters to go and give to the Lord. 
I remember watching God provide and take care of us, even though we had gone to very low points and for things to completely turn around. I remember watching God sustain us through all of those emotional roller coasters and somehow end up still walking with the Lord and worshiping God. I'm shocked to see his faithfulness. He's continued to hold, hold our hands all the way through this. Isaiah 48 says, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Jesus has not come to abolish the Old Testament. He's not come to abolish anything in the Bible. Do not think this. Very important in this day and age because there are people in the society trying to abolish the Bible and to get it out of here. We don't like that book. I mean, all you got to do is open it up at work. I dare you to open it up at work. I dare you to just carry it around somewhere. Like, what what are you doing? You you don't bring that out. It's like, what? What's literally, what's so offensive? It's highly offensive to those who don't love God. These words will stand forever. People have tried to wipe this book off the face of the planet many times, century after century. We're in a very small time in history. We're a blip on the map when you think back 2,000 years. How many churches have met like ours over 2,000 years? A lot. But we think that this is the biggest time in history, and maybe it is on some levels. But the word of God has stood firm all the way through. Look at verse 19 in our Bibles. Jesus says, therefore, after he has said, I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Don't worry, I'm not here to tear it down. He says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and does not do them. This person and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Let's talk about this. Therefore, when you see the word therefore, you have to ask what? It's therefore, right? It is, again, working off of the past thing he had just said. He is pulling all of this statement about not thinking that he's come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He's pulling that into verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes on one of these commandments or one of these things in the law, these 613 commands... And teaches others of the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. The person who becomes relaxed. This word means to loosen something up that was tied up. It's like to untie your shoe, to let the laces fall. To unloose, not to keep it tight. To become loose in the commands of God. Jesus says that person who does this and then teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. You want to be the last and the least in the kingdom of God? Teach other people not to obey God's commands, but to pull away from the faith. That's scary. If the influence of your life is encouraging others to be loose in their faith, laid back and relaxed in their faith, and commitment to God's commands, you could be the least in the kingdom of heaven. This is sad. It feels like we do have a bunch of Christians with their shoes untied, though, in L.A. It really does. The sad thing is, it is actually happening. A lot of people relaxing in their Christianity and just say, man, we just, again, we don't want to forge forward. We don't want to cause any problems. We just want to 
just kick back and I just want to cruise, hit the cruise control button, lazy boy recliner, give me my chips. I want to relax. I don't want to have to make a stand for anything. But the fact of the matter is, there ain't no rest for the wicked, right? There is no rest for the devil and no rest for the enemy and evil continues to prevail on the earth. It has been for thousands of years and it will continue. And just as we talked about before, it is like weeds growing up in a garden. What do you have to do to get weeds to grow? Nothing. They just grow. But you got to do everything Everything under heaven to get a plant to grow, huh? You know what I'm talking about? You're like, please produce tomatoes. Please, just give me one tomato. You got the perfect lighting. You got the perfect soil. You put a lining around it. You got the watering system going. And you can't get one tomato out of that plant. But weeds? Oh, dude, they just take off. They just show up and start growing everywhere. And the same is true in this society. If you just do nothing and just sit back, guess what happens? The weeds and the darkness just grows and it just overtakes and just sweeps over this city and this nation. That is why we are not to relax. We are not to allow the shoes to be untied. We're not to loosen up in these things of the commands of God. We're to be obeying God and loving it. Not obeying him because we have to. Because we want to. Is obeying God's commands a burden? Yeah, it was the dumbest thing I ever did. Thou shalt not murder. I should have never obeyed that one. That was, that was kind of dumb. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Yeah, that was a dumb one too, man. I really wish I would have, you know, yeah, kept doing that one. Messed up the marriage. Oh, the commands of God are a blessing to us. They're actually trying to stop us from destroying ourselves and destroying other people. Wow. Why aren't we vigilant and alert to obey God's commands? Too many Christians asleep on the job. Christians aren't ready for war. Though we are in a war, spiritually it is going on right now. It's going on nonstop. The devil does not sleep. He never sleeps. He has never stopped. And he will never stop. How do I know this? Personal experience. I can literally just have a great day and all of a sudden magically something terrible pops into my mind or I start thinking negatively about that person. I get angry. It's just, it's, it's wild to watch how the influence of my own flesh, number one, the influence of the devil and his demons roaming around here. And number three, the influence of our culture. It is a war going on nonstop and the weeds are growing and somebody has to be vigilant. Somebody has to stand up and start moving forward. We need to get our boots on. Unite. The enemy can come in and take over easy because no one is ready for war here in L.A. Nobody. And I'm not talking about physical war at all. I'm talking about a spiritual war. We need to be praying. Praying for our friends, praying for our family members. Why don't you take some time this week? Just pray for your parents. Pray for your friends who are hurting. Why don't you pray for your work? Start lifting these things up to the Lord. Start going to battle spiritually. We can't just sit back and let the weeds grow. I know why we were called to come to this city. I know why we were called to come and plant this church here. It's because we saw from a distance, literally, the, one of the main reasons, it was very practical. It's like, well, I grew up in Southern California. I like to surf. I like the city. 
Oh, where, where's the nearby city? Oh, that one over here. What, which one needs Jesus the most? That one over there. Okay, let's go. We literally showed up because we knew it was dark and we knew it was just going to keep getting darker. And so we're here to shine the light of Christ into the society with the power of God behind us and in us. Our boots tied up and on and ready to fight for righteousness and what is good, obeying his commands and loving it. Oh, you people want to challenge me about obeying God's commands? That's cool, man. You want to destroy your life? Good for you. Go on. When you mess it all up, come back and we'll talk again. What do you say? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. The only amen I got the whole service. Go steal, go steal some stuff. You know, go cheat on your spouse. Yeah, go, go hate some people. We'll see how that works out. Go run from God. Go ahead. We have a city full of people destroying themselves. We got a smorgasbord of people. Examples of what not to do. It doesn't matter if you're at the top of society or at the bottom of society. We got everything in between. And I am telling you, Jesus says very clearly that whoever allows their shoes to be untied and then teaches others to untie their shoes as well and to sit back and do nothing, these will be called least in the kingdom. It is the lazy Christian who sits back and does not get involved. How do you get involved? You love God on your own. You start building your relationship with Him. You spend time with Him in prayer, in the Word of God. And then second, why don't you just spend time encouraging and building up someone else? I dare you to do these simple things. Would you just love God and love your neighbor? We would get a lot accomplished real fast. So why isn't the gospel prevailing then here in L.A.? There's a bunch of Christians. They only needed 12. Jesus only needed 12 to transform the landscape of the Middle East. And we can't even change L.A. Everybody's got their shoes untied. We're all kicking back on the couch. Got my lazy boy recliner. Trust me, I love to relax. I love to have a good time. But I can see into the year, into the next five years, in the next ten years, that if we do not start plowing forward and getting aggressive in things that are good, things that are righteous, things that are godly, the weeds are going to grow up and just start taking over everywhere. My little babe's got to grow up in that. I got a little boy coming this week. My wife will have him this week or next week. Is that exciting or what? <laughs> but man, I, you know, you hope, you hope to grow in these kids almost like a ruthless plant. Just like grows up and just starts choking out all the weeds. It's kind of like a bougainvillea. You know what I'm talking about? These things are monsters. You know which one that is? It's the one with the bright pink flowers. But it's a bush that grows up over the top of, um, you know, different patio covers and all that stuff. Reminds you of Europe. Those things are ruthless because they got spikes on them. When they start growing, they literally just smash every weed around them. They're like, we ain't got time. They're beautiful. And I hope to raise kids that are like that, that think for themselves, that don't allow the, the society to think for them and tell them they develop deduction skills on their own and I can drop them anywhere on the planet and they will be able to think it through and walk with God and figure it out. Even in the most wicked societies. We need Christians to tie their shoes, to get ready for war, to stand up for righteousness. John fourteen twenty three. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. 
the Great Commission. Are you ready for it again? Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, please, make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Your job, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus gave us the responsibility of teaching others his commands. I want to ask you this question. Have you ever taught anyone else the commands of Christ? Have you ever just spent five minutes sharing with someone else some things from the word of God? I'm not saying you got to like, okay, lunch break. Okay, everybody around the table. All right, get out. Get the Bible up. Okay, where's your Bible? Where's your Bible? Yeah, we, not, I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just... In day-to-day conversation, there are all kinds of opportunities that arise in our lives. And if we are true followers of Christ and it's boiling up within us, it's going to magically just pour over into others. And we're going to find ourselves talking about it. It's going to happen. It needs to happen. This is our entire calling. Make disciples. Teach them. Not just me. This is you. That's why we call our church Legacy. Because I want the legacy of the gospel of Jesus Christ to continue from generation to generation. I'm not looking for legacy to be established for 10 years and this thing just falls apart and leaves. I'm thinking 100 years, thinking 200 years that the legacy is passed on from generation to generation. We raise up more pastors, more spiritual leaders in our society, and we carry that on to the next generation and then let them lead, prop them up, let them lead. That's what we're called to do. I want to see the next generation worship the Lord Jesus. That'd be sweet. A wave, a tsunami wave of righteousness, goodness, peace, and rest just takes over the city. L.A. became known for something else other than what it's known for now. You're like, that's impossible. You know what was impossible? Nineveh. Remember Nineveh? Nineveh, the, the nation who used to cut the tongues out of people cut people's heads off and make piles of them and laugh at their enemies. Say, you want to come in here? We'll wipe you out. God sent a man named Jonah to him. Remember, Jonah didn't want to go. He went kicking and screaming. He said, I'm not going to them. You might save them. I'm not going to preach to them. You might might save them. You might forgive them of their sin. I want them to burn in hell forever. They're so wicked. So Jonah's like, I'm not going. And he bought He bought a a cruise ticket, and he went on his boat, Tarshish. He's kicking back in the sun, eating his little olives. And all of a sudden, a storm shows up, and he gets kicked overboard. And a whale swallows him and goes and spits him up on the beach, on the shore of Nineveh. He's like, "Uh uh-oh. I think God's telling me I'm supposed to do something. So he says, forget this. I'm just going to tell them all they're going to hell. That's all I'm going to preach. The text literally says, his message to them, it's not even good news. He just says, hey, you better all repent or in 40 days you're all going to die. God is going to crush this nation in 40 days. You got 40 days to repent. That's your time clock or this whole nation is going to be wiped off. Fire is going to come down and burn this joint up. You know what they did? They repented. It went all the way up to the king of the nation, and he broadcast it everywhere. On the radio, in the newspaper, it says it was sent out into the land. And the whole nation repented and turned to God. I do believe that God wants to work in our generation. I do believe that God wants to work in us. I do believe he's stirring up 
He's stirring up true believers. He is weeding out all of those who are just messing around playing Christianity, and he is stirring up a new generation. Listen, you are always teaching people something by the way that you live. Good or bad, your life is teaching somebody. You are making disciples right now as they are watching your life. They watch your every move. You're making disciples and you're making good ones or you're making bad ones. My little Eden, she watches dad's dad closely these days especially. She wants to put on her shoes when I put on my shoes. When I give mom a kiss, she wants a kiss. When dad laughs, she wants to laugh. Even when I cough, if I, you know, I eat some jalapeno or something, <clears throat> she'll, she'll start coughing with me. She wants to do the same thing. I'm influencing her every day with my every move. People are following you and watching you, and you are making good disciples or bad disciples, whether you realize it or not. You're making a godly Christian or a lazy Christian, whether you realize it or not. We must live out our faith. What do you think Jesus is saying here? Is it okay to just hang out and relax? No. We need to be active. We need to be moving forward. It's funny when you ask people what religion they are. You know, some people might say, I'm a non-practicing Christian. I'm like, huh? Then you're not a Christian, huh? No, 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 I'm a Christian. I'm just non-practicing. The word Christian means to follow Christ. The word Christian, it means to follow Christ's commands. That someone who is not following his commands is not a Christian. Jesus says you'll know them by their fruits. You look at an orange tree, you know it's an orange tree. Why? Because there's oranges on it. Isn't that amazing? When you look at a Christian, you know they're a Christian. Why? Because of the fruit in their life. There's oranges on that tree. The fruit of the spirit of a Christian is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faith, meekness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Jesus says the greatest in the kingdom are those who live these commands and teach them to others. Our final verse, verse 20, take a look. Jesus goes on, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is clearly saying to be more holy than the scribes and Pharisees in his day, you have to exceed their works, and if you don't exceed them, you'll have no place in the kingdom of God. So let's look at how holy these guys were to determine how holy we must be. The scribes and Pharisees were, in many senses, the most outstanding people in society and in the nation of Israel. The scribes were men who spent their time teaching and expounding the law of God. They were the authorities on God's law. The scribes gave their whole life to writing out the law of God, writing it perfectly, so perfect that if there was one mistake, they would rip up the whole thing and start all over. Can you imagine being a scribe? You're like writing through, you start in Genesis. One year later, you're in the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. You're down to the last chapter and you're writing perfectly. You're down to the last verse and your dog hits your arm and you, there's a big mark on the page. You have to rip up the entire thing and start all over. 
I can't even imagine being a scribe. This is what they were called to do. The Pharisee means separatist. They were uh, apart from society. They had created their acts, other acts of duties that were more rigid than the law of Moses. They had so many rules and regulations which they lived by that were not in the law of God, and they actually lived them out. You see, an example is the fact that God's law only demanded that the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, was to fast once a year. You just fast once a year. But the Pharisee, they got to go above and beyond. They got to big league you. They got to one-up you. What would they do? They would fast twice a week. You fast once a year, I will fast twice a week. They would make up commands that were not in the Bible and live them out so they would look more holy than everybody else and be more holy in the eyes of the people. Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. What? Then how can anyone get to heaven? Maybe you're thinking today, well, that's it for me. I'm not going to heaven. How am I going to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees? First, what are the commands of God? Matthew 22. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Number two, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. You want to fulfill the whole law, all 613 commands, all you got to do is two things, love God and love your neighbor. The Ten Commandments, I don't know if you knew this, is broken up into two sections. The first four are loving God. The first four Ten Commandments are loving God. The second six are loving people. That's exactly how they're broken up. Loving God and loving people. We love God by making Him our number one above all things. Christianity is not an option to life. It is my life. I'm a Christian first before anything else. I'm a Christian, really, genuinely, loving God before anything else. Before family, before friends, before my country, before America, before Los Angeles, before my work, before my hobbies, before anything else. A lot of times we identify ourselves with what we do, right? You always walk up to somebody and ask them here in LA, oh, so what do you do? And that kind of stereotypes them as to who they are. We are first a Christian above all things, a follower of Christ. Everything else comes second, Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be taken care of. Watch this. When you put God first, everything else falls into place. When you put God last, nothing falls into place. Everything gets messed up. We love people, family, the second command, by serving them and not doing anything to hurt them. We serve people. Jesus said, I came not to this earth to be served, but to serve and give myself a ransom for many. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, comes down from heaven, not in a Rolls Royce or a Bentley. He comes down as a poor man and serves people, washes his disciples' feet. What an example for us, huh? Jesus said, you want to be the greatest in the kingdom? Become a servant of all. That is so not the LA way, huh? You walk into a room, you kind of like put other people down and kind of like, Throw your weight around. Jesus said, you want to be the greatest in my kingdom? You become the lowest. But those are the people we actually like the most. Those who genuinely are humble and want to serve other people. We actually genuinely like those people more than others. We only rub shoulders with the other people because we have to. Or because we need to. But we actually genuinely love those who have hearts of humility. The Pharisees were alive on the outside and dead on the inside. Careful. Careful. 
Luke 16 says they were lovers of money, were listening to all these things, and they were scoffing at him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. Have you ever bitten into a piece of fruit that looked amazing on the outside, only to find that it's black and disgusting on the inside? You ever look at that avocado sitting there? Looks amazing. Yes, one more avocado left. I can use it for my meal. Yes. You cut into it and it's black. Ah, why do you go bad so fast? The Pharisees were hypocrites. They looked great and righteous on the outside, but they didn't know God. External righteousness is not enough. It must be internal. It must be our heart to love God and love people. We must have desires to do so. We can't be fakes. You can fake, you can fake out people, but you can't fake out God. You can fool people here in L.A. It's easy. But you can't fake God. You cannot fool God. He sees the heart. He knows where you're at. And long term, it will come to pass and other people will find out as well. I'm telling you this for your own gain. If you grow in your relationship with God and your heart becomes soft and your mind becomes right, I'm telling you, you win in all levels of life. Most importantly, you're at peace. What does it matter if you have the whole world but you don't have peace at night when you sleep? You must come into close relationship with God. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Just go to Beverly Hills. We know. We can see. The Pharisees had everything right on the outside. They were dead on the inside. They were fooling everybody. But Jesus looked at them and said, you guys are fakes. You're hypocrites. And I see it. John Blankard said this, hypocrisy is nothing more than skin deep holiness. Spoken faith is not necessarily saving faith. It's only skin deep. We've got to watch out for man-made religion. The Pharisees made up their own religion to keep and then enforce everyone else to keep it, and this is called legalism, and we are to never do this as Christians. You are not to make up rules that are not in this book and then suppress other people with those rules. One of my favorite sermons that John Corson does, it's called, He Didn't Say That. And he shouts in the sermon, he didn't say that. He didn't say that. So stop walking around acting like you're holy because you fast twice a week when he only said you got to fast once a year. People make up all kinds of other rules. And then when you keep the rules that you made up, you praise yourself for it. You're like, dang, I'm good. I'm holy. I read my Bible five times today. How many did you get? Oh, you're, you're just not as you know holy as me. I see. It's okay. It's okay. Next time. Next time you'll get it though. Look, you can make up rules for yourself. I do. Just don't enforce them on others. You want to make up rules for you about God? You want to wake up at this time and do Bible study? You want to do Bible study this many times during the week? You want to set up parameters in your life or circles around your life that help you stay away from those sins or those things? Do that. Do not enforce legalism like the Pharisees. Pharisees came to him and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he said, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what 
you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. Basically, Jesus said this. They're like, your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. And Jesus is like, are you guys serious? He's like, the, the word of God says that you're to honor your father and mother. But when you have enough money anyways and you see your parents in need, you know what you do? You go to them and you tell them, I'm sorry, I can't help you this week because I had to give to God instead. When you know you had plenty and you could have helped them, but you blamed God for not being able to help them, Jesus nails them right between the eyes. He's like, you hypocrites. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. Oswald Chambers says this, a bad man is worse when he pretends to be a saint. A bad man is worse when he pretends to be a saint. The best thing that you could ever do, fam, listen, family, listen, the best thing you could ever do is just be authentic. Just be real before God. And watch this. He loves you just as you are. Okay? He loves you right where you are, and he wants you right where you are. He wants authenticity, honesty before him. That's where we got to start. We don't need to be fake. We got enough fake in this town. They strain at a gnat, but swallow a camel, these guys. So focused on the small details of the law, they miss the big issues. Loving God, loving people. How can this be? We're so focused on all these small details, and then when people look at your life, you miss the big ones. Loving God and loving people. But I got all these little details right. Second John 1, 6, this is love, that we walk in obedience to His commands. You have heard from me from the beginning. His command is to, that you would walk in love. Erwin Lutzer said legalism is self-righteousness. It is the belief that God is satisfied with our attempt to obey a moral code. We don't need any more, any more moral code or obeyers. We need people who genuinely love God and want to obey Him because they love Him. They want to obey Him, not because they have to. That is what we need more than anything. In closing, the proof is in the pudding. If we have received the grace of God... If we have truly received salvation, it is going to produce a life of godliness. It's just going to. Why? Because when we believe on Jesus with all of our heart, we have real relationship with him. We repent of our sin and put faith in him. Something magical happens. The Holy Spirit of God comes and fills our life. And we actually have desires to want to do what is right and actually walk with God. That's the only way to righteousness above the Pharisees. It is to receive it through Christ. Romans 3.22 The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. 2 Corinthians 5.21 The great Sritcheru that I was talking about before. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God put Jesus to death so that we wouldn't have to be put to death. Jesus lived a perfect life to give us his perfect life so that we could get to heaven. It's really an amazing picture. I like the bank account illustration. You were in debt like $10 billion in sin. Jesus paid your debt on the cross, and then he filled your account with another $10 billion to pay for the ticket to heaven. He gave you his righteousness. He gave you his perfection. And your account is full right now because of Christ. Right now. It sure doesn't feel full. I know. He's done it. Amen.
It's an amazing gift. And so I don't obey God today because I have to. I do it genuinely because I want to. He's been so good to us. He's given so much. He's fulfilled the whole law for you. He's lived a perfect life. He's died for your sin. And all he's asking you to do is believe him at his word. Believe me with all of your life at my word, what I say is true. This is love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome because we love him. It's not a burden to obey people's commands that you love, right? Your spouse says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And you're like, babe, I love you. I love to obey your commands because I love you. I want to make you happy. I know there's some things that you like a certain way. I know there's some things that you want. I love loving you and walking in those ways. That's a relationship. And that's what God wants with his people. Amen? Amen. Obeying God and loving it. Because we're going to heaven. We have Jesus' righteousness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the breeze. It's nice. But above all, Father, we thank you. You've gone so far for us. These things make sense. We realize that we're not good in and of ourselves. We can't live perfectly. We try so hard to do good in this city and and we find ourselves in the mud over and over. But you are a good God and you lived a perfect life and you're here to clean up the mess. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you've given us that righteousness. But Lord, you do simply ask us to come in repentance and believe on you with all of our being. To cry out for forgiveness of our sin, what we've done wrong against you, that we would repent. Turn away from living that way, running from you, running from your commands, running from your ways. Father, I ask and pray now supernaturally that you would come and minister and move in each and every heart right now. That, Lord, we would turn to you. We would confess on the inside. We've turned away from you, that we're not walking in your ways. We would turn to you with all of our hearts and say, Jesus, I make you Lord. I make you Savior of my life again today. Be my King. Be my God. Be my friend. Save me, Lord. I can't do this on my own. And Father, I ask that you would meet them right where they're at. You would fill them with your spirit. They would have peace tonight. They would know that you are with them and on their side. Pray your hand a blessing on us, O Lord. Please give us joy, give us light, give us all that is needed as we go back into the city this this week, this day. Use us for your glory. Use us to minister your gospel Use us to minister rest. Use us to minister what this city needs. We need you to help us to do this. Empower us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.